Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Uh, for President Trump, it is a triple legal threat. Yeah, he's got suits against him over Russia, over money, and over sex, and he doesn't even have a lawyer. Oh, my God. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Thursday, March 29. Here we go. We're running out of time in this month of March, but not running out of news. So that's why it's uh, good that you're there, good that you're with us, and we got lots to talk about today. As we come to you live coast to coast from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill where we're uh, sort of house-sitting while the House and the Senate are out of town. Uh, we're still here so uh, we can keep our eye on all the news around the country as well as all the latest shenanigans at the White House where the revolving door keeps spinning wildly. And the last one to be tossed out that revolving door as expected. We knew it was going to happen sooner or later. So Donald Trump got a little bad news yesterday from the courts, so he chose yesterday to try to change the subject and finally fire uh, the VA secretary, the only holdover from the Obama administration, VA secretary David Shulkin, who about six months ago was Donald Trump's best friend, Donald Trump praising him all the time. Now he's thrown him out and put in place uh, Dr. Ronnie Jackson from down at the White House. Yes, and meantime... Uh, it looks like the president's attorney, John Dowd, was dangling pardons to Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn, saying, yeah, you stiff Robert Mueller. You don't appear in front of Robert Mueller. You don't talk to him. You don't tell him anything. We'll take care of you, babe. Aha. little obstruction of justice here. Let's get right into it. And we will. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill. Yes. Did you tune in to ABC's Roseanne show the other Are night? Are you kidding? <laughs> what, see her scratch her crotch? Well, so she's back. Roseanne yes. Barr is back. Roseanne, a show that I actually loved when I was growing up. It was around uh, quite some time ago. Well, they have brought it back on ABC, and a lot of people are watching. Mm -hmm. Her first episode brought in 17.7 million viewers and a 4.9 rating. 
and adults ages 18 to 49. That is amazing. That now, is amazing. They did back not, the, as ma- not as many people as watched Stormy Daniels. No, no, that's a good point. But they did two episodes back to back. That was the uh-huh. first episode yeah, that aired yeah. at 8 o'clock. The next episode <laughs> aired at 8.30 right after. That brought in 18.6 million viewers. So it went up for the yeah. second, like huh. by, by a million for the second one. So that's a huge, huge night for Roseanne. Now there is some controversy, of course, because conservatives are flocking to watch the show and praise the show because Roseanne, in her own words, has said part of the reason that this show came back is because she wanted to give people a little insight into what it's like to look at a family that supports Donald Trump. Yeah. So right. mm-hmm. it's. I mean, I voted. I didn't watch it. Uh, yet I will watch it because I love Roseanne. I think she's hilarious. But those are big numbers, man. And yeah, I didn't think are. it was going to pull are. numbers that big. Right. All right. Sad news. I know this is going to really bum you out because we uh, continue to talk about Julian Assange, who has been living in the Ecuadorian embassy. Well, here's the problem for Julian Assange, who has made his name by uh, internet shenanigans and being online. Well, Ecuador has cut the internet connection at his embassy in London, <laughs> which means Julian Assange. Serves him right. Yeah, he cannot communicate with the outside world. He is locked away in hiding. Can't really get outside of the embassy. Can't really go out for a stroll. The only thing he had was the internet. The internet. Yeah. Well, no, which longer. he could use to hack into the sure, yeah, uh, to to get the stuff from Russia that they had hacked out of the DNC. I have zero sympathy for Julian Assange. Yeah, he's um, been there since 2012. I mean, what what he did early on with um, boy, her name now, uh, uh, Chelsea Manning. Chelsea getting Manning. those videos out. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was fine. It was great. It was public service. But since then, yeah. he's just become a total creep. I think I just kick him out. Kick him out. Why does Ecuador want to protect him? This is the Bill Press Show. On three fronts, Donald Trump fighting legal problems today. A whole new one appeared yesterday. So now, in addition to uh, needing needing to lawyer up over Russia, needing to lawyer up over sex, he now has to lawyer up over money and a possible um, breaking the emoluments clause of the Constitution with his hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, the facing the triple legal challenge, and here's Donald Trump without a lawyer and still can't find one. Hey, what do you say, folks? Well, you got uh, me as your friend, not your lawyer, uh, every day here uh, on the Bill Press Show, and thank you so much for joining us again this Thursday, March 29, coming to you live, for, as always, from our nation's capital and our studio in Capitol Hill with all the news of the day and your opportunity to uh, send your comments about the news of the day. Um, whether you agree or disagree with our take on it, uh, go to go on Twitter. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And we're joining you uh, all across this great land of ours on every platform that we possibly can. Online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Price Show. Don't forget, check out the podcast. The podcast is booming. It is. It's taken off like a North Korean rocket, except it keeps going. It doesn't crash. I was going to say, I, I'd like to think it's yeah. slightly better than that. <laughs> That's right. We just keep going. Uh, numbers get higher and higher and higher, so check it out. Wherever you get your podcast, we can go to BillPressShow.com for sure uh, and uh, join our podcast uh, audience. 
By the uh, way, it's it's really important that I mention this because yeah. uh, you it, it's so helpful if you subscribe. Yes, like we put up the link every day on Keep the website. Saying that, yes, and please. you can you can listen uh, to the individual shows, which is great. We appreciate that. But if you subscribe, you get an alert every time we put up a new podcast, and we've been putting up some stuff on the weekend that you can't hear on the show. So if you're subscribed, you know when that goes up. You can listen to it. And so yeah. subscribe. It helps our numbers. Leave a review if you like it. We appreciate it. And, and by the way, while you're at it, we also have this extra little stuff on Patreon, which you can sign up for, too, at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, uh, where Peter or I will do special interviews, special little um, features, right, that you can only find uh, on Patreon. So this is all of that. On television, on Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV, of course, and we're all part of the Young Turks Network, uh, and on the radio, WCPT out in Chicago. How's Chicago today? Hope you guys are doing great. Thanks for joining us there, and also on uh, Indianapolis, throughout the state of Indiana, on Indiana Talks. There we go. Um, Boy, where do we start? You know, I want to start with a little fact that I found very interesting today. We do, we always... um, are still amazed at Donald Trump's hair, right? How it stays in place and <laughs> yeah. how careful he is to cover that bald spot in the back. He's very sensitive right. about that. Um, the New York Times has a little tidbit this morning that at the Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in New York, okay, the hair on the statue of Donald Trump is made of a mix of hair from... A horse's ass? <laughs> Very good. Human hair and yak hair. Yak hair! No! No! Is that funny? God. Yak. Are you going to see it? Oh, man. I see that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. The real hair on yeah, his head. Yeah. He actually had yak hair. Yak, oh, yeah. A weave. Transplanted yeah. or weave of yeah. yak hair, yeah. So if you go to the Wax Museum, it's a mix of human hair and yak hair and the eyebrows. Oh, God. Eyebrows? Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot there. Yes, a lot there. What are those? Squirrel. <laughs> no, they're not. Squirrel. Are you serious? Yes. That's disgusting. Isn't that disgusting? <laughs> I hate that. I'll never look no. at squirrels the same way again. I'll never look at him the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Some squirrel had to lay down his life. <laughs> For Donald Trump's for eyebrows. Donald Trump's eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes, there you go. Uh, so I just wanted you to know. There it is. Part there. yak, part squirrel. Yeah. Breaking part news. Human. Breaking news. Yes. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, the other breaking news, of course, is, uh, man, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, huh? It is amazing. The latest shakeup part. The, the shakeup continues down at the White House uh, with it replacement of almost anybody who walks. You know, the latest White House gardener, my good friend there who's in charge of the grounds, I better call him today and say, man, you better better watch out. You're going you're gonna to be out of a job. Uh, when you think about it, I mean, I've lost track. But so far, right, the president has, in a year, okay, five communication directors, uh, fired three cabinet members, fired a chief of staff, the press secretary, fired his chief economic advisor, fired two... <laughs> National security advisors fired his top two aides, Rob Porter and uh, that other guy that that, that they they lost. Forget. I mean, and now the latest is the veteran, the VA secretary David Shulkin, and we knew he was going to be gone. It was just a matter of when Donald Trump will do it. 
Well, yesterday when he got this little bad news about Robert Mueller and about the Emoluments Clause, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, Donald Trump said, we better change the subject here. <clears throat> yeah, let's fire David Shulkin. Let's just do it like right now and put that news out there. He did. And to replace David Shulkin, he turned to um, guy's been there through a couple of presidents now. This is the third president as White House physician, um, Dr. Ronnie Jackson. By the way, who has uh, probably a good doc as far as I know, I don't know, but who has zero experience running even a small office, let alone the VA, which is numerically one of the biggest federal agencies with enormous responsibilities around the country with all those VA healthcare centers and, uh, you know, all the post-traumatic syndrome, everything that they're dealing with. Ronnie Jackson will be in charge. We remember it's Ronnie. It's a big deal. Yeah, it is. We remember Ronnie because he is the guy that came into the briefing room back on January 11, 16, 2018, after giving uh, Donald Trump his little checkup, and there are all these questions about health, how healthy is this guy is because we know what his diet is, and he says he doesn't exercise, and he looks as big as a house. What about it, Doc? In summary, the president's overall health is excellent. His cardiac performance during his physical exam was very good. He continues to enjoy the significant long-term cardiac and overall health benefits that come from a lifetime of abstinence from tobacco and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Lay it on, lay it on. He says, I've never seen anybody so healthy as this man. How long could he live? Some people have, uh, you know, just great genes. You know, uh, I told the president that if he had a healthier diet over the last uh, 20 years, he might live to be 200 years old. I don't know. <laughs> God. I don't know if that's a threat or <laughs> if that's supposed to make us feel better. At any rate, I think what happened is uh, Donald Trump said, hey, Doc, you tell, you, you go out there and tell him, I'm in great shape, and I got. I'll take care of you, baby. We I'll said take... this at the time. Yes, we said but... this at the time in January when he came out and he said that Donald Trump is six foot three, two hundred thirty nine oh, pounds. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I said there's absolutely nobody, no way that's nobody believes. There's that. absolutely no, no way no, that's true. Right? And we, we said that... on air. <laughs> I wonder if Donald Trump went to him and said, "Hey, you like your job? Would you like a better job?" Yep. Go out I'm, there and lie about how healthy I am. Tell we'll everybody take how care great I am, and we'll take care of you. We said it. And uh, now look. <laughs> now look. Well, uh, as Trevor Noah pointed out last night, uh, that, that this is well-deserved. After all, uh, anybody who sees Donald Trump naked deserves something. <laughs> fair. Right? Right? That's That's, fair. Isn't that fair? Totally I mean, fair. hey, Stormy Daniels got 130000 Yeah, right. <laughs> right. right. Uh, Karen McDougal got 150000 and David Shulkin gets VA secretary. There you go. So, so all rewarded for having yeah. seen Donald Trump naked. Uh, so far as we know, Dr. Ronnie Jackson didn't have sex with him. However, all right. So that's why he didn't get any money. He just got a job. Got the job. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's move right along here. Boy, the biggest news out of the White House yesterday. This is really troubling. Uh, reported by New York Times first that John Dowd, the president's attorney, who resigned last week because he was pissed off that the president was not taking his advice when it came to dealing with Robert Mueller. Trump, uh, President Trump was saying, yeah, I want to meet with him. I want to talk to him. I'm going to sit down with him and tell him my side of the story. And John Dowd was saying, no, you want, don't want to do this. Trump says, told her before, told us, yes, I want to do it. 
Uh, and Dowd was also not happy for the fact that the president said he was going to hire Joe DeGenova and his wife, Victoria Tunzing, as his, as his new legal team, part of his new legal team. So, so Dowd resigns, and then the president ends up not hiring uh, uh, Victoria and Joe anyhow. But we found out now from the New York Times that uh, last year, John Dowd was dangling pardons in front of Paul Manafort, and Michael Flynn's Michael Flynn. He talked to their attorneys, approached their attorneys, and suggested that the, this is before, by the way, they made, uh, Manafort has not made a deal with Mueller, but um, Michael Flynn has, and he's now cooperating. But this is before that. Uh, and he went to their attorneys and said, according to the New York Times, hey, look, uh, the president's going to take care of you. We will, don't worry, don't meet with Mueller, don't tell him anything, don't cooperate, don't go down this road, you have nothing to worry about because the president has the pardon authority and he will pardon you. Now, if that is not obstruction of justice, I don't know what is. Uh, It's interesting that neither one of them took them up on their offer, but Donald Trump could still do it. And I think the fact that this story is out there uh, will even increase the chances that Donald Trump could do it. And this is all part, I believe, of the White House's efforts to undermine Robert Mueller, undermine anything he may come up with, uh, and basically yank the thing away from him by taking two of the principals, Paul Manafort and um, Michael Flynn, out of Mueller's um, control, if you will, by granting them uh, a great big party. But think of it. Uh, if, if he did that, in fact, if this was a pardon offer, pardon offered as a payback not to testify, I don't know how that's anything other than obstruction of justice. And uh, so this could really come back uh, and bite Donald Trump in the ass. Also, part of the, uh, related to the Mueller investigation yesterday, uh, the Mueller team put out uh, a document proving, well, alleging, or asserting, I should say, I guess, that Rick Gates, who was Paul Manafort's attorney, uh, partner, by the way, that Rick Gates, while deputy campaign manager, was in frequent contact <clears throat> with a Russian official that he knew was a Russian intelligence officer. He was in frequent contact with a Russian spy Rick Gates, deputy campaign manager. Deputy campaign manager. Deputy, That's important. I keep coming back to that. Deputy campaign manager. This is not when he was doing business deals with Paul Manafort. Maybe he met him then. This is not after the campaign when Donald Trump's already in the White House. This is when he was working for Donald Trump as his deputy campaign manager, was in frequent contact with a Russian spy. And again, we remember, uh, of course, this has been broken so many times, but This is all under the cloud of Donald Trump saying nobody around me, nobody in the Trump organization had any contact whatsoever with anybody from the Russian government. Now, we know Michael Flynn, Jeff Sessions, Jared Kushner, Donald Trump Jr., George Papadopoulos. I mean, the list is uh, as long as my arm. Uh, But Rick Gates was actually knowing, and he knew this guy was with Russian intelligence, and he was actually dealing uh, with him. Um, on a a frequent basis. 
Uh, the plot thickens, that's all we say. And it just proves one more time that Robert Mueller is uh, serious. He's at it. He is on it. And uh, no matter how much Donald Trump uh, tweets against him or calls it a witch hunt, the Mueller investigation is not going away. So that's one legal front. Just to pick up where I started the show, that's that's it's a triple legal threat against Donald Trump today. And these are active, ongoing cases. As we speak, two of these, there were there were rulings in two of them yesterday. So the one is this whole Russia legal problem. Now there's another one, which is Donald Trump's financial conflicts of interest as president taking money from foreign governments through his properties around the world and particularly through his Trump International Hotel right down on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, we've talked about this before, and we've had um, guests in, you know, experts talk about this. And the uh, ACLU filed one case uh, against Donald Trump, which uh, a judge kind of threw out on the emoluments clause. But this is the second case which had been moving forward filed by the District of Columbia and the state of Maryland who say that because this is a Trump property, he's president, foreign governments to influence the president are moving their meetings there and putting their foreign dignitaries up there. And and Donald Trump, who did not sell his assets, is getting a, a piece, a slice of everybody who stays and everybody, every dime spent in that hotel. He gets a penny of it or whatever. So um, this and the Constitution for prohibits a president from accepting money, gifts from any foreign government. Uh, particularly, they mention that the government of Bahrain and Kuwait uh, as two who moved mass big events there from other hotels. So what the District of Columbia and the University of Maryland, uh, State of Maryland, are alleging is that this does hurt and interfere with an unfair competition to local businesses. Point is, yesterday a federal judge said that this case has a lot of merit, that this case is solid, and that this case can move forward. So second legal front, money conflicts, particularly emoluments clause, breaking the Constitution, Donald Trump and his financial difficulties. Then the third legal front is, remember, we've got Stormy Daniels suing to get out from under her nondisclosure agreement, Karen McDougal suing to get out from under her hush money, Summer Zervos suing in New York Superior Court on sexual assault charges, uh, and now... Yesterday, Stormy Daniels' attorney, Michael Avenatti, uh, the uh, PR genius and, uh, and media-savvy Michael Avenatti, he filed papers yesterday um, seeking court's uh, a permission or not, not a court order to depose Donald Trump and his attorney, Michael Cohen, individually, each, each of them, uh, to depose them uh, in the Stormy Daniels case. So uh, we'll see how the judge rules on that. But he is asked to depose Donald Trump somewhere, White House, Mar-a-Lago, anywhere, for two hours and to depose Michael Cohen for two hours. You know Donald Trump's attorneys, or well, when he finally gets an attorney, 
not going to want him to do that. I mean, imagine Donald Trump for two hours and not telling a lie. Donald Trump can't go two minutes without telling a lie, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but this is, this is, I think, a brilliant move on Avenatti's part. I just said, okay, you say no. She says yes. Let's go. Let's let's sit down and let's talk about it. And let's get your side of the story, and you you prove why this never happened. He well, cannot. He cannot do that. No, no. And I don't think I'm not. I mean, look, it, this Stormy sure. Daniels story. I, we, as we've been watching it over the weeks, my biggest thing is like, how does this end? Where does this end? Because it doesn't seem clear. Because the White House is pushing back on the story. The yeah. Stormy Daniels side, they seem to have things that would. Imp- like indicate that there's more to come and like this seems like it could be a way that it just ends is by donald trump shooting himself in the foot mm-hmm. i'll tell you one thing it would end pretty fast i think if he gave this deposition yeah i agree <laughs> i agree <laughs> because <coughs> um back, back to the pardon for just a minute I, I meant to point out uh this did come up at the white house briefing yesterday and sarah huckabee sanders said there has never been basically just denial 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 there was never any discussion about uh, pardon anybody. An on-record statement from the president's attorney here at the White House on these matters has said there's no discussion or consideration of this. Mm-mm. She says, and if you don't believe me, go back and ask Ty Cobb, he, he said a long time ago. I would refer you back to the statement from Ty Cobb in the report that you're uh, asking about, in which he said, I've only been asked about pardons by the press and have routinely responded on the record that no pardons are under discussion or under consideration at the White House. All right. So if you believe the White House, White House, this uh, never happened. Okay. If you believe, uh, if you the, believe White the White House. Right. Yeah. It's a key uh, phrase there. <laughs> And I don't. No, no, nor should you. Yeah, there are there were three people quoted in the uh, three people, not quoted by name, but three sources for the New York Times and and uh, the Washington Post who said that yes, uh, John Dowd did approach their attorneys. And remember, they're cooperating with Robert Mueller now, or uh, Michael Flynn is not Paul Manafort. uh, That he did approach their attorneys and dangled this pardon. on one other front yesterday in the, uh, and this is really troubling. Um, so we've seen this week uh, all the news of the shooting of a young Stefan Clark in Sacramento, uh, shot 20 times by police in his grandmother's backyard. He held a cell phone in his hand, did not have a gun. Um, and uh, it seemed a classic case of um, ex- ex- excessive use of force on the part of police and uh, in this case, uh, the cops even turned off their body cams. Uh, no, yeah, nothing it, suspicious there. Nothing suspicious there, no. And they can be seen huddling and talking while his body is lying on the ground. They haven't even called medical help. What they're talking about is, let's get our story straight here. Let's get our story straight as exactly why, why, why we did this. Yeah, it's just, I, this, is, this is in a line of so many that we've seen in the last couple of years of uh, police firing first uh, and uh, asking questions later. And then on top of that, we had this decision in Baton Rouge, Louisiana this week uh, not to file charges against the police officers who uh, subdued and then shot right in the chest Alton Sterling while they had him uh, under control. At any rate, this matter came up. And remember, back in uh, the Obama days, and I was there every day at the briefings, um, 
you know, a lot of us were pushing the White House with so many, Michael Clark, and, uh, wasn't his name in, um, was it? Okay, boy. Michael Brown? In Michael St. Brown, Louis? Yeah, Michael yeah, yeah. Brown, sorry, yeah, not Michael Clark. Um, but all of those cases, they were, they were building, and the and President Obama hadn't said anything. The White House was saying they didn't want him to get out in front, you know, and look like, because he was an African-American, they were taking advantage of it or whatever. And, but finally, uh, enough was enough, and President Obama did speak up. Uh, he and Eric Holder, they started this new, they started working with uh, cities around the country, starting with St. Louis, to come up with new guidelines for police community uh, 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 community relations and 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 the use of force uh, and making this really a national issue. Well, Donald Trump comes in with Jeff Sessions, and the first thing they did was they pulled the plug on these new police community relations uh, guidelines. In some cities that already adopted them, they said you can just abandon them; you don't have to follow them anymore. And other cities where they were in progress of of formulating new policies, uh, the Justice Department said, you can just drop it, don't have to do it. I mean, forget about that. Uh, and uh, yesterday, uh, it, it comes up at the White House. So with excessive use of force by police departments around the country, what is the White House going to do about this, if anything? Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, certainly a, a terrible incident. Uh, this is something that is a uh, local matter, and that's something that we feel should be left up to the local authorities at this point in time. No, no problem. Nothing for us to worry about. Just a local matter. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, so basically they're saying any police department anywhere in the country can do anything they want. It's up to them. And it's a local we don't matter. Care. And we don't care. It's a local matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, however, we will give them all the leftover equipment that the Pentagon doesn't want this year to make their police department look like the U.S. Army just rolled in, right? So they get all that federal equipment back again, which President Obama uh, put a, put the put the hold on, and Trump has, has lifted that and let them get all this. So you can get all the Pentagon, all the military equipment you want, but what you do with it, what your rules are, still a local matter. Uh, it's embarrassing. I mean, it's totally embarrassing, that answer. Yeah, it's not a local matter. It is not, for so many reasons, a local matter. Number one, it's just immoral. It's wrong. And it just sends the wrong message around the country to see case after case where mainly white police officers shooting mainly unarmed young African-American men. Uh, But the Trump administration is not going to do anything about it. It is a local matter. Meanwhile, as we discussed a little bit yesterday, the war on immigrants continues now on a new front with Jeff Sessions telling the Census Department that when you do the census the next time around, you've got to start out by asking them, are you an American citizen or not? Igor Bobish from HuffPost has been reporting on that and a lot of other stuff. He joins us now after a quick break here, and then we'll be right back on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Thursday, Thursday, March 29, uh, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. Uh, We are your source for uh, breaking news, like the breaking news uh, this morning, that uh, at the Wax Museum in New York, Donald Trump's hair is actually, isn't it? Peter still the uh, 
unbelievable that Donald Trump's hair in the Wax Museum is actually made of human hair, a combination of human hair and yak hair. I Think see about it. that the next time you see him on television. <laughs> oh, my God. I totally see it now. I wouldn't have thought about it ahead of time, but now that you mention it. It is, it, like absolutely. I, if it, that's not a yak, I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs> Igor Babich is here from Huffington Post. Did you realize that, Igor? No, no. I did not. Uh, you you know, learn but, something new every time you come on the Bill Press <laughs> no, show. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, what, what is his real hair made out of? Yak hair. <laughs> that's what I think. Now we know it's a transplant, right? right? Yeah. And his eyebrows? Don't tell him, Peter. I'm not. You'll never guess what animal contributed the eyebrows yeah. in the, for the axe music. Uh, raccoon. <laughs> That's Close. a good guess. That's, That's a, a good, good guess. guess, right? Squirrel. No. Yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Ask Madame Tussauds. I don't know. I'll, I'll never look at squirrels the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there we go. Hey, uh, by the way, just uh, before we uh, jump in with uh, Igor here from. Uh, uh, from HuffPost. We want to remind you on April 4, Wednesday, April 4, all of you out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT, uh, hope to see you at the Frugal Muse bookstore in Darien, Illinois. Uh, and we'll be up talking about Illinois politics, national politics, the 2018 midterms, and about my new book called From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. You can find out more about it at our website at BillPressShow.com. But Wednesday, April 4, Coming out to Chicago, don't get don't get there very often. So uh, this is a great opportunity. Come on by and say hello. Look forward to seeing all of you out there at the Frugal Muse Bookstore, six thirty, on Wednesday, April four. Igor, you've been writing about a lot about the uh, the the census. So how did this come about that they're going to bring back this question of uh, are you or are you not an American citizen? Well, this has been something that uh, Republicans have been pushing for for a while. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and a couple other his colleagues have written the Commerce Department several times trying to push this through. Uh, but we actually got a tell uh, earlier this week when Chris Kobach, the oh, yeah. uh, the Kansas Secretary of State who's known for throwing out all these wild and inaccurate claims about non-citizens voting. And um, for a while was head of the phony voter fraud commission, right? Right, right. yeah. Um, uh, admitted or at least revealed that he was the one who suggested to the president, I think during the transition, that he go forward with this. Uh, so that's kind of where the idea has been bubbling up. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they and and Jeff Sessions was part of this too, right? And they take it to Commerce and tell Wilbur Ross basically, you got to do this, Wilbur. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, the reason why this is so concerning, and a lot of civil rights advocates and and uh, um, voting rights advocates are concerned is that if you add this question, especially during this administration, which has gone so aggressively after immigrants and cracked down on immigration policies, um, is that you would have some people, some undocumented immigrants who would be afraid to to obviously respond to census, census uh, demographers, people who come around your door and ask you questions. Or people who may have, uh, maybe citizens themselves, but have some undocumented family members living in the house or living nearby. Right. The fear would be deportation. If you yeah, generally right. say you are undocumented, that they're going to come around and deport you. And why would that be you know, a thing now? Well, because you see uh, news reports about even veterans getting deported. Uh, Undocumented immigrants who served, mm-hmm. I believe there was one re- recently this week uh, who served in Afghanistan who was deported, and it's a uh, it was a terrible thing. Now the the administration uh, tries to defend it uh, in two ways. Uh, the first way, which I find I both I find both of them amusing, uh, but the first one is well, 
We had um, this question on the forms from like 1860 to 1950, <laughs> so no big deal, right? right? Yeah. To which I say, we did a lot of things in 1950 that we don't <laughs> do anymore for a good reason, right? Well, look, Bill, we're making America great again, all right? Well, that's it's true, Back too. to 19, 1950, we're that's making, what we're taking. Right. <laughs> Make America white again. That's what we're doing. <laughs> um, so that whole idea that, well, we did it in 1950. What's wrong with that? Yeah, we also had segregated schools in 1950. You could right. go down the list, right? I mean, yeah. that's ridiculous. But then the other thing they say is uh, that, well, we're doing this to protect the Voting Rights Act. I mean, that's the icing on the cake right there. For this gang to look you in the eye, right, with a straight face and say they are trying to protect the Voting Rights Act after everything they've done to gut the Voting Rights Act. It's it's disingenuous. Um I mean, another thing they're saying is that there's no evidence uh, that undocumented immigrants would be afraid to answer this question if you ask citizenship about citizenship, which in some sense they have a point. The, the, the reason why is there's just been no testing. They're essentially going to do this blindfolded. Uh, you know, we're two years out from the 2020 census, less than that, um, and, and it's not been tested at all, and you, ca- you can't just float but, in a... a a question like this randomly without testing its effect. Right. It hasn't been tested. But by the way, it, 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 it's impossible, I, I believe, to make that argument again with a straight face. It, look, I just know from running voter registration drives in East Los Angeles, mm. and I, I did a couple of them for, for, for campaigns and for Jerry Brown, he, people were hesitant even to come near anybody who just wanted to register to vote because yeah. anything to do with the government. There's so, there are some immigrants that won't go and near a clinic, right, or any anything with right. anything to do with the government because they know uh, one contact could lead to another and then somebody's going mm-hmm. to ask the question, want to see your papers, you know, and then they or their family members are in jeopardy. Right. It definitely will. I, I, so I think it builds up to this. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that it will build up, that there will, it'll mean uh, less participation, lower participation and a lower count an inaccurate count. Mm-hmm. But then, so what? Well, some states, particularly immigrant rich states, Texas, California, New York, Florida, <laughs> um, Arizona, uh, run the risk of losing congressional seats because the way you apportion uh, House seats in Congress uh, is by population. So the less population you have, the less seats you have in Congress, the less electoral votes you have. Um, and crucially, the less federal funding you receive, a lot of the the, the way the federal funding is disimbursed from from Washington, and depends on you know how much uh, population you have. Um, so this could affect you know what kind of roads you see, uh, schools, um, education loans, uh, health services, emergency funding, how many ambulances the city gets and it doesn't get. Um, really, you just go down a list, um, and uh, this could really be negative for both citizens and non-citizens. If you have a, a rural community in Texas and all of a sudden their population is halved, that affects you know the regular citizens in, in that county as well. They're, they're going to lose out on this funding. Um, the argument the conservatives make is that this will incentivize states to further deport <laughs> undocumented citizens in order so that so they can receive a fair share of their of their federal funding. So so this really gets back. This is really the latest battleground in the war on immigrants. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. No matter how much, yeah, how, how, how I they mean, try to. Let me. Can I? Can I read you an email I received this morning from um, from somebody who read a story I did this week about the census, who um, who thanked me for writing it. Please go. Um, and he said, "This will increase the state's incentive to get rid of illegals that will suck up resources." Good. California yeah. thinks they don't have enough money because illegals didn't participate in the census, but they suck up resources. Help deport them and don't be a sanctuary state. Mm-hmm. Right. That's in other words, uh, you could just accept broken down roads, bridges, right. fewer fewer police, fire, emergency, EMS, whatever protection. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and live with it. So, but the, what's interesting is you, the states that you mentioned. Do conservatives or do Republicans realize this is going to hurt red states as well as blue states? I I, I think they they acknowledge that it might, um, but, but I, uh, in in their minds the the benefit <clears throat> of including citizens and, and excluding non citizens outweighs any negative effect that that might have on congressional representation. Right. So. Um, I, I, this, to, to me, this is so clearly wrong and and short-sighted at the best. But so it, it, a lower count is definitely going to mean, as you indicated, just, just summing up, um, in terms of allocation of federal money, mm-hmm. right, less money to key states for key services, public yeah. services. Yeah. It's also going to mean that they could lose representation in Congress because the count will be off and show that there are fewer people living there than actually are, right? Yeah. And if you look at So state, like Arizona could lose a seat, as yeah. you point out, you know, who knows, Texas could lose a seat. Red states could lose representation in yeah. Congress because the census is goofy, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, especially yeah. blue states. California, I think, is projected oh, yeah. to yeah. lose two or three if this, this goes through. Texas, uh, right now, if it's one of the fastest growing states, they're they're estimated to gain I think I think three or four seats in 2020. They could lose two. You know, it it really has a chance to hurt red states as well. And the funny thing is, uh, Chris Kobach, the guy who floated this to the president, uh, was asked about um, the the effect that it would have on congressional uh, the way congressional seats are allocated. Um, I think somebody in, in Kansas asked him, "Well, what about Texas, our neighboring state down south? And would would this affect them?" And he said, "Yeah, it might." You know, it, they acknowledge the fact that it might, but they're still going forward with okay. it. Okay. Now, um, the other impact, or the other aspect of this is the Constitution says that there should be a, des, what, how do you pronounce it, decennial? Right. Decennial count mm-hmm. of residents of the United States. Whole persons. Right. It doesn't say that. Um, people of color or people who don't have papers should be counted like two-thirds or one-third or not counted at all. Right. It talks about, I mean, so isn't this on the face of it unconstitutional? Well, that's that's what uh, a dozen states right now are bringing a lawsuit. They're going to say that. They're saying that this will cost them federal funds, that it will cost them political power. Um, the issue with that lawsuit is standing, right? Uh, you've got to prove that you're going to be harmed by this decision. And um, that's where the legal arguments are going to go. Well, and, and and I know there's one case actually was decided, I think, or reaffirmed last year by the Supreme Court that political districts are drawn also on the number of residents, not on the number of citizens. Yeah. So it seems to me on the face of it, you make a strong argument that what they're proposing is le- illegal on the face of it. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting to watch the the lawsuit unfold. Um, and it has to unfold because right now is when they are doing their testing, aren't they? And right. getting their building up their field operation, and yeah. they're going to have to know pretty soon kind of what the questions are. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, California is really, I think, ahead of this. Uh, the Attorney General there has, has said he's going to go full blown. I mean, it's <laughs> it certainly seems like California and the Trump administration are. are really butting heads in, in a quasi-war here going into the election. Well, that's just kind of how Trump likes it, right? Like, he, he likes to have an enemy. He likes to have someone he's battling, whether it's the fake news media, right, or or, or uh, Amazon in general, or California as an entire state. Like, he only does well when he has somebody that he could constantly fight with. Yeah. Right? He's still bringing up Hillary Clinton over a year after the election. <laughs> right. Now, of course, this is just one of the legal fronts, then, uh, a new one that Donald Trump is going to have to uh, uh, engage in. So he's got a uh, legal challenge on uh, the census, a legal challenge on with the whole Robert Mueller investigation. As of yesterday, a continuing legal challenge on the emoluments clause mm-hmm. and the impact of his Trump hotel. And then uh, the ongoing legal challenges from at least three women, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal and uh, Summer Zervos, which was quickened yesterday by Michael Avenatti saying, filing papers to to get uh, authority to depose the president and his attorney, Michael Cohen. And with all of those now four fronts, right, he can't he can't find an attorney. (laughs) Uh, It's hard. It's getting hard out there. Um, I I believe they're having to (laughs) they're trying to find somebody. I don't know. There somebody put up a Craigslist ad. actually great. uh, This week in D.C., this hilarious Craigslist ad ad that was titled, um, you know, searching for competent lawyer for, you know, uh, unruly client. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine working for Donald Trump? No. As as a lawyer, uh, lawyers want. The clients who will take your advice and who will pay your fees. Donald Trump really hasn't <laughs> demonstrated either of that, either of those in in, in past. Well, what's cases. Uh, what's also uh, curious to me is that these top flight law firms, white collar white law firms, great reputations, outstanding lawyers, they not only have turned them down, but they have put out word: we want you to know. That we said no, right? <laughs> yeah. They're not keeping it a secret. Conveniently, everybody has conflicts, business conflicts around these cases. Now, mm-hmm. that's some, that might be true for some of them, but, you know, if they really wanted to represent a president of the United States and all the businesses associated with it that comes down down the line, they, I think they would they would do it. These are lawyers. And look, some of our good friends are lawyers, okay? But there is a certain reputation that comes with the industry that they will work for anybody. <laughs> and, like, I, I again, I, I mentioned this the other day. I wondered out loud about a week ago, at what point do the lawyers just say, eh, this is just too much headache? And then I laughed and said, no, that's not going to happen because they're lawyers. Of course they're going to yeah. be just fine. But here we are <laughs> but you know like normally it's sort of like the shirt maker for the crown right or the shoemaker for the crown i mean you have that that's your you you, you, you get that connection you're you're set for life right yeah you made one pair of shoes right. you still I you wear that you put that sign up and then and and for law firms you know i remember bob bennett mm-hmm. prominent attorney here in town who represented bill clinton yeah and, and he declined uh, uh, he he was right yeah. He declined mm-hmm. taking up the same thing for uh, for Donald Trump. How does this end? Does he finally get? 
somebody right out of law school? Well, what I'm worried about is, and, and he already tried this by trying to pick up two attorneys with contra- controversial records. Uh, uh, who, Joe DeGenova and Victoria Tunzing. Right, who ultimately to. were not able to join because of... Well, because Conflicts. they looked disheveled. <laughs> when they Apparently, they, they didn't mesh well with the president of the United States. Um, what I'm worried about is that this will lead the president of the White House to find somebody who's extremely, extremely, you know, uh, right wing, who's uh, telling him to fire Mueller, who's telling him to issue all these blanket pardons. Yeah, he um, wants a lawyer that's going to tell him everything that he already agrees with. He wants a John Bolton. Sure. Uh, and, and his legal, so he's got Bolton on his foreign policy team now, and he wants that equivalent as the head of his legal team. Well, Bolton is a lawyer. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the classic double dip. And he can do Leading more, us into war he, and defending him from allegations. He can do more than one job. There's Michael Mulvaney, right, is uh, budget director and head of the right. Consumer Protection Bureau. Mulvaney's doing like three jobs. Yeah, yeah, right. God. Um, so there, there we go. Um, the, the, on the, uh, stick into the legal front for a second. The, there, there's been talk from the very beginning that this hotel was going to be a problem for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And now this judge yesterday, with this judge's ruling yesterday, it looks like it could be in the sense that there are all kinds of foreign governments that are putting people there, having events there. And eventually a, good, a slice of that Money goes into Donald Trump's pocket. A good, a good slice of that money. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it seems like everybody in town. If, if you want to curry favor with the president, you hold your event in his hotel. And um, even, even the Republican National Committee is the the party that he that he controls is holding its events there and <laughs> other Trump hotels around the country. Um, which just you just get into these ethically murky um, decisions of Trump supporters giving. The RNC money because they're fundraising for him, and the RNC is going to Donald Trump and paying that money to him personally. Uh, it's it, it just seems crazy, and I I can see why this why this judge would uh, not want to toss the suit out. Uh, when you were reporting on uh, his difficulties finding uh, hiring a lawyer, you talked to a lot of lawyers in town. What did they tell you? Well, a lot of them did not want to be um, quoted in the story. They didn't want to talk. Uh, they've obviously are connected. They've, they've got business around town, so doing so would would not seem palatable. But um, I'll, some of them said there's there's extremely high chance of of them um, having connections to the people already under investigation. So it it. it what did they pretty... tell you about the client? You know about the difficulties of or that they saw about working for Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, well, you want a client who's going to listen to you. Yeah. You don't want a client who's erratic, who's, you know, who's going to undercut your legal strategy by firing off any sort of tweet at any time in the, in the morning. Uh, John Dowd, the president's top uh, Russia investigation lawyer who recently resigned, who said he loved the president and, you know, he was extremely in love with the president, yet he had to leave for some reason. Um, <laughs> because he thought Joe DeGeneva and Victoria Tunzing <laughs> were coming in. Right. <laughs> He, um, the, the, the legal hoops that he had to put himself in, um, just one case was, happened in December when the president tweeted about uh, the firing of, uh, Michael Flynn, his former national security advisor. Um, John Dowd at one point said, no, that was me. I, I drafted one of those tweets because mm, if, mm. if Donald Trump, in fact, tweeted 
that he knew about um, the circumstances around Michael Flynn's firing that would put the president in uh, potential obstruction of justice territory. So John Dowd really had to um, go through all these legal hoops to try to try to um, keep the. I mean, he was doing his job, but also it places him under risk of losing his job. Right. Okay. Now speaking of uh, John Dowd, yeah, he pops up again yesterday with this report. Front page Washington Post and New York Times, and I haven't seen the HuffPost site this morning. It's probably front page on your site. That John Dowd, um, at, back uh, a year or so ago, dangled the possibility of a presidential pardon in front of Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn before Michael Flynn had reached an agreement with the special counsel to cooperate. Yeah. Uh, ostensibly to say, hey, you don't don't worry, don't 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 cooperate with Mueller. And you've got nothing to worry about right. because we got the pardon power and we can take care of it. The president will pardon you. So whatever you do, don't tell Mueller anything. Um, if that's true, isn't that obstruction of justice? I, it certainly has the appearance of <laughs> being obstruction of justice. If, if that's I mean, true. what else is it? Right? I mean, in a yeah. sense, it, it really it really is a, an attempt to interfere with Mueller's work right. or obstruct Mueller's work or undercut Mueller's work. It, and it makes me question why... Uh, Gates and Manafort then refused it. They, I mean, they, they're clearly... Flynn, Flynn and Manafort, I think, huh? Yes, yeah, that's right. right. Um, they uh, entered not guilty pleas and are, are still still holding that. Um, but if it's true that John Dowd actually offered them pardons, and this wouldn't be the craziest thing for this White House... <laughs> No, and this president. no, no. So no. it's it's By totally way, not far fetched. No, it, it's not far fetched at all, given yeah. Donald Trump. Right, and it's also to me not far fetched that he could still do it, and might still do it. I mean, right? and and to me, just like, like they say, he'll never fire Robert Mueller. Oh yes, he could. Right, and yes, he would. He thought he could get away with it, yeah. and by, I think he would get away with it. Yeah. So the idea that uh, that he might still pardon him, or that he once offered a pardon, it's also pr- probably inconceivable that John Dowd made this offer without the knowledge of the president. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, to me, nothing screams innocence and witch hunt and phony, you know, accusations like the offer of pardons. You know, if you've got nothing to hide, why why are you offering pardons? Uh, Somebody will have a chance to ask that question maybe of John (laughs) Dowd. So uh, Avenatti yesterday, Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' attorney, uh, filed this motion to um, to get the court authority uh, to, uh, to depose the president of the United States for two hours about the Stormy Daniels matter. Man, can you imagine the questions and the answers? That would be incredible. What it, it really is, impresses is me: Donald Trump capable of going two hours without committing perjury? I mean, he without has been, telling a lie. He has been deposed before. There were depositions in the eighties, nineties that he did, and right. you know. Um, we talked about that. Like he, he, and he did fairly well. Like yeah. he, he knew when to say I don't know. He knew when to shut up, and he did. He, he, he didn't totally bomb that test. What, what has really impressed me about this whole episode is this Stormy Daniels lawyer, Michael Avenetti. I mean, the guy has been running this thing like a, like Steve Bannon in, in 2016. He's been slow rolling it. He's been, you know, yeah. strategically uh, handing out information to the press, keeping the story alive. Uh, he could be a uh, 2020 campaign manager if he wanted to. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Donald Trump has met his match in Michael Avenatti and uh, 
and Stormy Daniels. Uh, Igor Bobbies, you can follow Igor and all of our good friends at HuffPost at HuffPost.com. It is. You can do HuffPost now. You don't have to do Huffington right. Post, right? That's right. All right. We made it easier for you. Shorter. HuffPost.com. Graham Weiss from New Republic joins us next. Thank you, Igor. Thank you. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump on the legal front, a triple legal threat that he's facing over Russia, over money, and over sex. And the poor guy can't even find an attorney who will work for him. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is March 29 on a Thursday. And this is the Bill Press Show, coming to you live, as always, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, bringing you the news of the day and giving you a chance to sound off about it. Send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. I haven't checked those Twitter comments yet today. We'll do so shortly. Uh, And it's good to see you wherever you uh, are in this great land of ours, all part of the Young Turks Network, with a lot going on. Yes, indeed, uh, there was a lawsuit on the president's perhaps violation of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution that was allowed to proceed yesterday by a federal judge. Uh, New papers filed by Stormy Daniels' attorney trying to seek a deposition with the president. And then more information from the uh, special counsel's office that investigation continues full bore, that maybe Rick Rick Gates, deputy campaign manager, was in frequent frequent touch with a Russian spy and knew he was a Russian spy. So all three fronts, uh, legal challenges facing uh, Donald Trump, as if he didn't have enough other stuff to worry about. And the revolving door at the White House continues to swing with the latest out is VA Secretary David Shulkin. Graham Weiss here from the New Republic. Lots to talk about, huh? Lots to talk about always. Isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's never a dull news day Never a dull Trump. news day. No. And as once again, we have our conference call, we put the whole show to bed, and then we pick up our phones, and Donald Trump has totally changed the narrative. Right. Not complaining. It's just <laughs> the way it is. Uh, we jump right into it with all of you and with Graham Weiss from New Republic. But first, Peter. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. This story is a bummer. Uh-oh. But yesterday, the Federal Election Commission went and showed donations to the NRA's Political Victory Fund to see how it had suffered in the days after the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And it did not suffer. In no, fact, I was going to say, yeah, it suffered by probably doubling. Right. Oh, no, no. It, they didn't double, Bill. Oh, okay. It tripled. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> in January, the NRA collected $248,000 in individual contributions. And in February, the month... 
of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Sick, 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 sick. They brought in $779,000 in individual contributions. That is triple the number that it had brought in the month before. That Al- is almost as about. big a boost as Barack Obama being president. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. Well, we still talk about what's going on with Facebook and and what they may or may not have violated, but there are some people that are just taking it into their own hands. For example, yesterday, a Playboy came out and said, hey, we are deleting our Facebook page. Now, a lot of brands have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. page. And they put, you know, content out, stuff out for people to stay in touch with them. Playboy has one. And they said, you know what? No more. We're getting rid of it. We don't want it. Elon Musk had done the same thing. He took Tesla and SpaceX pages off of Facebook at the end of last week. So we're actually seeing some corporations saying this whole Facebook thing is too much. We're not interested in this anymore. Where do they go instead? Twitter or Snapchat, which I can't say that some of these places are much better, frankly, but uh, they're, they're concerned about that. One final story. This is sort of nuts. I I love it, though. There were some pipeline protesters protesting a pipeline in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, back in 2015, and they are finally getting their day in court. Well, yesterday, the judge said that they are found not guilty for protesting this pipeline because, quote, protest against climate change crisis is a legal necessity. Oh, wow. So they protested and they got arrested and the judge said, hey, we're not going to punish you for that because it's that important to protest what's happening with climate change. Pretty nuts. Yeah, I would hope you to get arrested for protesting. Yeah, I mean, mean, we're seeing this happen more and more, but the judge is basically saying, like, no, you don't have a case. You don't have a case. I mean, yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? Great to see you on a big Thursday, March 29, uh, the Bill Press Show. Here we go from our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours, whether you are watching on television on Free Speech TV, looking good out there in TV land, whether you're listening on the radio on the great progressive voice of Chicago, the greater Chicago area, WCPT, or down in Asheville, North Carolina, or whether you're joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Again, great to see you. Remind you again about our podcast, because you can't catch the entire show, we realize, uh, every day in the uh, early part of the day, Uh, but you can get up to date and re-listen or listen to parts that you missed all throughout the day by going to our podcast. Wherever you find your podcast, um, we're there. Uh, you can go to BillPressShow.com uh, and and hook up. Uh, and we ask you again and remind you how important it is to subscribe once you're there so that you're a regular member of the team and get our updates and our little reminders all through throughout the day. We essentially put the show up uh, <laughs> right after we're off the air, right? So uh, there's very little lag time. If you're only able to catch the last half hour, we put the whole thing up you know, momentarily after the show. So you can just go back and listen to what you missed. Yeah. And our podcast numbers have been uh, growing uh, exponentially. We want to keep it keep it going, keep it going. 
Joining us here uh, as a friend of Bill for this hour, Graham Weiss, uh, our good friend from uh, New Republic. Hello, Graham. It's good to see you. Friend of Bill. I'll, I'll, friend I'll, of Bill. I'll take that. Huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, there was a time when, uh, if you were a friend of Bill, you would get to sleep in the Lincoln bedroom. Mm. Uh, we are for- unfortunately cannot add that, Missed to, that. Yeah. <laughs> to our list of goodies here. But, uh, I don't know. I bet you still could. <laughs> with the Lincoln- Given the open graft oh. and corruption at, the, at this White House, I bet you could probably still get that deal. <laughs> well, if you were F.O.D instead yeah. of an FOB. <laughs> right. F-O-B. That's right. 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 Man, uh, so much news. Where do we start? Let, let's start with, with Donald Trump. Um, why can't he find a lawyer? Yeah, I mean, I, I think my own, only reaction to this is it just plays into a, a broader narrative about how no one seems to want to work in this White House. And I mean, he, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this is a trend, not just with his legal team, but sort of there's a sort of uh, resistance among people in Washington who who sort of, uh, you know, would be likely candidates to work in a White House who ha- who have sort of refrained from uh, working with them. Oh, I mean, lots of them. You know, I assume they're also you know, sort of legal specifics of his situation that might make people, um, you know, hesitant. But uh, but, it you know, it's certainly it's certainly, you know, of a of a pattern. Well, the difficulty in in finding a lawyer and he's been through at least five of the top firms in the city, all of all of whom have turned him down, um, is reflected by the constant shakeup in, in the White House, particularly recently. Yeah. Um, Hope Hicks losing, leaving. Losing his chief economic advisor, losing communications director, losing his national security advisor all in time. Uh, and now, and, and we knew that Shulkin was on thin ice um, lately. In the beginning, Donald Trump loved him. Right. You know, they worked together on all this stuff. He kept praising him, but then um, went, went sour, particularly with news of Shulkin's uh, travels in Europe at public, at public expense. Um, but he brought in um, Ronnie Jackson. We remember uh, Dr. Ronnie Jackson um, uh, back in the first, first of all, I got to tell you, I remember Ronnie Jackson because it was at Barack, Obama, Barack Obama's last press conference when this woman alongside of me fainted. Oh. I have to, can, can, I, can I just tell this story really quick? Because yeah. you had to leave our Christmas party early <laughs> That's so right. that you yes. could go to this press briefing because Barack Obama used to do the end of the year press briefing. And it, was, so it, was it he, always it, happened on the day of the that, Bill right. It was the end of his Seems last Seems like he year. could have you know, coordinated that better. You, 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 know? would, yeah, you so. would think Come on, Mr. President. So we it, were, this was last year. This was, was uh, or the, next the, last. the year before last. Okay. It was, it was Barack Obama's last year. Last, final year, yes. I believe. Yeah. I believe is what this is. And happened. he held the news conference. This was the he, one where he sort of vaguely talked about warning about Trump and 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 that well the I don't last... remember that because okay. of what happened here but it might have been the one before okay. the very last we couldn't one, have right. it in the new in the East room because it was the Christmas decorations were up and for some reason we couldn't go over to the South Court auditorium mm. so Obama held it in the briefing room which meant there were 200 people in a space for 50. It was jammed. Okay, so you go had ahead. so you had to leave the party a little early, yes, which I did. means which uh, means I didn't have much to drink. The inmates were running the asylum, so we all got pretty liquored up, and then we got back in front of a TV and we started watching because we wanted to see it. And lo and behold, Bill Press saves the day. <laughs> lo and behold, oh, yeah, I, I think was, I heard about this. No, I was standing there thinking, 
Uh, I'm sorry, folks. We'll get back to the news. <laughs> no, no, no. This is important. This is but, important. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking it is so freaking stifling hot in here. It's just impossible. What if, and all these people packed in the aisles, what if somebody fainted? And just then, I just, this woman alongside me dropped, oh right? God. And so, Jesus. right? So I. Bill Press, volunteer fireman. Yeah, follow, former volunteer from <laughs> I pick, I get her up with the help of uh, another woman there, and um, we get her back up. We, you know, and she comes around, and then she says, "I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm, I'm so sorry or something." So we, she sits for a little bit, and we get her up. It just disrupts the news conference from Obama. What's going on? What's <laughs> yeah, going on? Right. And so then we say everything's okay. So then he resumes, and about two minutes later, boom, she goes over again. Oh, God. <laughs> At this time, we got her in a seat. We tried, we tried to take care of her and getting some water. And then we just had to get her out of there. It was just pretty clear. Seems so, like the right takeaway. So I, just, I put my arm around this woman, pick her up, <laughs> and moving it. And Obama is saying, uh, okay, take her to Dr. Jackson. Take her to Ronnie Jackson. Uh, uh, well, I don't know where. Yeah. Bill, you know where it is? Yeah. No, he said, I said, well, I don't know where it is. He said, well, just go down there and go in the palm room or whatever. So... So with Obama's instructions, what a moment. Yeah. yeah, I take her in to, and um, as soon as we got out the door, there were Secret Service guys waiting there. They escorted us in. We go in, go into the Ronnie Jackson's office, yeah. put her in the chair, and I don't even know her name. I still don't know her name because I was just about to ask her name, and, and Ronnie Jackson says, okay, I'll take it. I'll take her away. Yeah. No, she was in the chair. He says to me, yeah. boom, I'll take okay. it from here. Yeah. Get out, basically. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, how Bill got his Medal of Freedom Award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was my Ronnie Jackson moment. At any rate, then the next time I see Ronnie Jackson, he has examined the president of the United States, and he is not only in good shape, he is in excellent shape. In summary, the president's overall health is excellent. His cardiac performance during his physical exam was very good. He continues to enjoy the significant long-term cardiac and overall health benefits that come from a lifetime of abstinence from tobacco and alcohol. Abstinence. Abstinence. Yeah, you don't think of that word and Donald Trump in the same sentence. Um, and how long might he live? Some people have, uh, you know, just great genes. You know, uh, I told the president that if he had a healthier diet over the last uh, 20 years, he might live to be 200 years old. I don't know. Now, Graham, I have the you... best genes. I've... Of course he does. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. You don't think there could be any quid pro quo here, do you? Oh, I, I wouldn't. What's the what's the line from uh, House of Cars? I, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> uh, you Pe might say that I couldn't possibly comment. Peter and I both think that, <laughs> that Trump said you you go out there and tell them how healthy I am, and I'll take care of you. Yeah, uh, it's either that or as Trevor Noah uh, uh, surmised last night that um, anybody who sees Donald Trump naked gets a reward, right? <laughs> Stormy Daniels got one hundred and thirty thousand. Yeah, and uh, Ronnie Ronnie Daniels gets yeah. it. Cush government. I think job. Stormy Daniels is going to emerge from this thing looking pretty good. I mean, she. I thought she seemed very level headed on the, in the sixty minutes interview. I mean, I, it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how how this how this winds up. No, she looked great. I mean, she carried herself off really, really well. She didn't look like she had an axe to grind. She just sort of had a story to tell. And like, she didn't look flustered. No. She looked very comfortable on camera, right? Uh, and um, and I thought very believable, very credible, right? Particularly when she didn't make her. She, she made it very clear that she was not there as a victim, right? It was all consensual, and she also made it very clear 
she didn't like him, she didn't, or she wasn't attracted to him, and she didn't want to necessarily have sex with him, but she did, and not the consequences. No, I thought there, there were several things she could have said, I think, which would have put doubt clouds about her story. Even the fact that she um, three times denied it, mm. right, already. She explained why she did, mm-hmm. telling that story about the threat, and she, she just figured the best thing to do is just to put this behind her right, and move on, right? So, um, but, but back back to where we started, which was with this constant shakeup of the White House, it has to have an impact on their ability to get anything done. When you look at Shokin is the third cabinet member. You've got two national security advisors right. he fired, a chief of staff, uh, a press secretary, five communications directors, on and on and on, and mm. probably not finished. Right. I mean, and, and if you think about it, I mean, since the... Tax law. I mean, I'm trying to think of sort of what, in terms of significant progress they've made on their agenda. I mean, I realize that obviously there are the these, spending, the bill. spending. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly, that's exactly right. Um, but you know, it, it's it certainly seems to have stymied some of their priorities. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Day to day basis. Yeah, no kidding. But I think it was Maggie Haberman from the New York Times last week who said that. There's no planning. There's no agenda. It's Donald Trump gets up every day. What right. are we going to do today? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, she's got, you know, the, the most stressful slash interesting job in journalism. I mean, what a, what a, I, 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 I look forward to reading her book when this is all over. Totally. Maggie, Maggie Haberman. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's got, he, he loves her and hates her both. Right. right. And she's great. I mean, in other she words, is. she's been invaluable. But, um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I, I just think about like the, per- the personal dynamics that might, must be involved in having those conversations and being so in his head, in his you know, in his in his world. Right. Um, no. From what we hear, it, it's he c- cannot stop attacking the failing New York Times and everything they write, blasting uh, uh, it as fake news, and also he cannot suffer from talking to well, her. Right. I mean, from the, talking to her. And right. He's got to. And, and isn't the the, the the thinking is that he still thinks of the Times as being kind of the uh, you know uh, the, the sort of emblem of of like success and credibility and and sort of like the sort of the New York elite status which he always always craved, right? Mm-hmm. And so he 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 you know he he uses them as a foil and he you know and he hates them and he whips his base against. Against them, but at the same time, he, he craves their approval. And he, I mean, I think when he sat down with um, the Times for an interview, either early in his presidency or after he was elected, you know, he essentially said something like, "I'm going to be a president that the New York Times will really love. You're going to love me." You know, he, he, I mean, so there's a, it's a fascinating dynamic where he love hate relationship for sure. From the New Republic, Graham Vice here with us as a friend of Bill this hour. So you've been look, taking a look at a race that. Uh, Hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Uh, special election coming up in Arizona. This is the next big special election. Uh, <laughs> the voting uh, is early voting is underway uh, this week. This is the uh, eighth congressional district of Arizona, and the election day is, uh, I believe, at the end. I believe it's April twenty fourth at the end of next month. Um, and this one's uh, a tough one for Democrats. Um, this is a congressional seat. Right? Correct, yeah. uh, eighth congressional district, and. Um, and the there's this is the seat that Trent Franks vacated uh, at the end of last year when he resigned from Congress over um, sexual misconduct 
mm-hmm. accusations. Um, and it's a deeply red district. Um, it uh, includes the former political base of uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio. So that's mm. sort of mm. what we're talking about here. Um, old, a lot of older voters, um, retirees, uh, you know, very conservative. Uh, but what's interesting about it is that this, uh, I guess it was last week or um, recently, uh, the, the RNC and National Republicans are all of a sudden spending money in this race to back up the Republican nominee, uh, this woman, Debbie Lesko, who is a former uh, state senator uh, from Arizona, um, you know, which doesn't necessarily suggest that the race is going to be close. I mean, there's been polling um, even by a Democratic firm on behalf of the Democratic nominee, Harold Tipperneni, um, that suggests that the Republican Lesko is ahead by something like 14 points. So it, it doesn't look close at the moment. Um, but, you know, it, in, a, in a post-Connor Lamb uh, world, uh, after he won that special election in Pennsylvania, uh, in a world in which Doug Jones is a U.S. Senator, uh, I think uh, it's interesting that the the GOP is is, is not so, taking the seat for granted, even though it is perhaps the you know the safest kind of seat you could imagine uh, in right. a normal political environment. Right. So for Republicans to lose this seat would be a real body blow, more so than Pennsylvania. There's 18. no question. There's yeah. no question. Right. I mean, which in some ways is a is a great dynamic for Democrats because if they win or come close to winning, it's a great story for them. They don't and have- if and if they lose. It's Sheriff Joe Arpaio's political base. You know, these are that's you know we can right. say. What know. do we know about her? I mean, you've called her the next Betsy DeVos. Well, so this woman, as I said, uh, former Senator Debbie Lesko, um, is her calling card. This is the Republican nominee. Her calling card uh, in Arizona last year was uh, that she sponsored this law, uh, which was signed uh, uh, by the Republican governor, to expand essentially school vouchers in private school vouchers oh, oh, in, yeah, in Arizona. Yeah. So she is um, a Betsy DeVos. Girl. And last year, last July, um, Betsy DeVos uh, addressed the uh, annual conference of ALEC, the American Legislative uh, Exchange, Exchange Council, Council um, which is this sort of um, corporate <laughs> bill mill, Koch Brothers funded conservative group which advances legislation in the states. And the only other person who was on stage with DeVos at that event was Debbie Lesko, who is sort of the the Arizona champion of these same uh, you know conservative school choice sort of privatizing uh, values uh, in in terms of education. But what's interesting is that this uh, expansion of school vouchers that Lesko championed has created such backlash in Arizona um, from defenders of public education that they have forced a ballot referendum for this November um, Hmm. to essentially overturn the the Lesko law. So if it goes down uh, in November, I think that will speak to how her signature issue, you know, what wasn't popular, you know, with Arizona voters. And every time Almost every time that school vouchers have gone to a referendum in other states, they've failed. So, so it's interesting. What do we have? Uh, to watch. Uh, who is the Democratic nominee, and what do we know about him? Her. Uh, Her. So, so, so the Democratic okay. nominee uh, is this uh, woman, Hiral Tipperneni. Uh, she's an. Uh, What's the first name? Hiral, H I R A L, um, an I- Indian-born um, immigrant uh, who is a. Um, an emergency room doctor, a physician, um, and she, um, you know, is running sort of on a. She's running, to to be honest, with 
um, a fairly moderate, you know, message. You know, she's just sort of got this sort of pragmatic problem solver thing going on. Again, I, 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 I you can debate the wisdom of that, but it's certainly not uh, not a controversial choice in in a district as conservative as this one. Um, but she's also, you know, she believes in a public option, you know, for for healthcare. She's she's definitely, you know, beating the drum of uh, of universal healthcare. I saw uh, someone from uh, a healthcare wonk from the Center for American Progress yesterday was tweeting with excitement about her health care plan. She's, you know, she's pro-choice. I mean, so, so she's she's a mainstream Democrat. I don't see any sort of glaring conservatism in her uh, in her record. Um, and uh, and and again, she she's really, uh, I think, made this certainly a race that's getting more attention than a race in this kind of area normally would. Well, uh, maybe we could uh, we could help out by sending Donald Trump to campaign for um Debbie Lesko. Debbie Lesko. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the question is the, the question is whether that would uh, help or hurt. I mean, there are, there are, huh. are a great well, many people in this district that are fans of Donald Trump. Uh, I guess so. But so far, it hasn't helped the candidates that he's going out to campaign for. That's true. That's true. And, uh, and you know, and Lesko is totally, uh, you know, again, for better or worse in this district, uh, she's 100 percent behind Trump. She has an ad, you know, all about the wall, you know, uh, it's saying we need to do the wall, but that's not enough. We need, you know, more oh. border security even than the wall. You know, so she, it, it's a real it's a fairly clear choice between, uh, you know, a kind of mainstream Democrat, uh, you know, who, who was running on a pragmatic message of working together. Uh, and a total Trump populist uh, and sort of Betsy DeVos wannabe in uh, in Debbie Lesko. Uh, interesting question, which uh, we'll let others decide, is whether the Democrats should put a lot of resources into that race or not. Right. Uh, because well, let's face it, there, there's just some districts you just, you're not going to win. Yeah. I... Although with this time and with this indications of maybe a blue wave building uh, and look what happened in Virginia, there were districts as bad as that in Virginia that Democrats picked up. Right. There weren't congressional seats, but so. Um, but it will be an interesting indicator. I mean, there was a piece yes. in, in Slate that I. I um, if Democrats can double the number of votes and still not win, right. they could. Exactly right. Huge impact. Yeah. yeah. And it will speak right. to in districts that are that are less conservative, how what potential there is for later yeah. this year. Yeah. In fact, uh, let's hold on to that and we'll get more answers from uh, Patrick McHugh from. Executive Director of a group called Priorities USA, and that's their whole purpose, is focusing on 2018 and which districts look good, and we'll get uh, Patrick's take on this, too. Uh, meanwhile, uh, as a member of the media, uh, you've been looking at this challenge uh, of You the... forgot fake, crooked media. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, 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 I, fake, I, I, fake news media. media. Fake news media, right. Um, uh, looking <laughs> we should at all the... get T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fake news media. <laughs> as a member of the fake news media, uh, you've been looking at the challenge for... Um, anchors who how do they how do they report the news when it's not favorable to the Trump White House without getting accused of being fake news right right particularly focused on Jake Tapper who gets pretty good marks for that's right I, I did playing a, it straight I did a, a profile of, of Jake Tapper uh, earlier this <laughs> month um, which uh, got some attention and and you know what's interesting about him uh, is that he he does seem to be the rare. Uh, news anchor who, at least among kind of um, elite media uh, figures, there is a there is a sort of broad um, appeal across the political spectrum, by which I mean, you know, conservatives in media, you know, people like Ben Shapiro, people like um, 
I talked to Barry Weiss at the New York Times, but uh, but there are others, you know, who who's, who basically have said uh, they feel like Tapper is uh, Joe Walsh, who's quite conservative, uh, the um, former Illinois congressman who's now sort of a conservative commentator, um, you know, all said that Tapper, they see him as different and distinct from even some of the other CNN uh, hosts um, like Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer. And there's Don mm-hmm. Lemon, I think, has uh, has attracted uh particularly ire of, of, of the right. Um, but they see Tapper as someone who's sort of tough on all sides. Um, and so when I talked to, to Tapper, uh, what he said and, and what he has been saying in speeches um, for a few years now is, you know, his focus is always just basically on truth and decency, facts and decency. And so, um, you know, really calling out all sides in a sort of aggressive way. Um, there are these famous... Um, viral interviews that he did with people like Kellyanne Conway, which became fodder for Kate McKinnon and and Saturday Night mm-hmm. Live. Um, he, uh, you know, but at the same time, for example, after the Parkland shooting, um, he moderated that town hall and then he also grilled um, the sheriff there who was sort of, you know, right. someone who right. Democrats agreed with, right? And he was very tough on, on that side as well. The, the um, sheriff who was saying, I provided excellent leadership or something like that. Right. What I'm, what I'm, about his own... What I mean is, like, he during the and, town hall, he was saying things that Democrats liked, and then, of course, it came out that he had, uh, you know, his his team had been sort of right, derelict right. in their duty. Um, and, and Jake called him and on Jake that. And Jake totally called him on that. And, and, and I, you know, I mean, he's called out Louis Farrakhan, right, recently um, for anti-Semitism um, and was quite tough on Obama. I mean, in a way, I mean, he reminds people that you know, the left did not love him under under Barack Obama because he was one of the people, you know, Rush Limbaugh was praising him at the time for, you know, being one of the only mainstream reporters who was sort of tough on a Democratic president. And so, um, well, of course, the, 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 the moral of this story, as, as Tapper is quick to point out, is that if we're living in a world in which standing up for facts and basic decency somehow is worthy of praise and adulation, like we're not in a we're not in a very good place, you know, in terms of where the where the press is. And um, but it was, you know, it was heartening to, to find someone who um, who at least ha- has gotten some um, some consensus appeal uh, in an age when it, that's in such short supply. And it it, it 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 there seems to be this quandary, of course, in cable news today about which hat they put on. Right. right. I mean, so Fox clearly they don't need there's, there's no pretense of real news on Fox, right? I mean, um, with maybe you know like, Shepard Smith, Shep maybe, Smith. I was and, just going to say maybe Chris one Wallace, except you know. yeah, Chris Wallace for sure on yeah. Sunday morning. Uh, and then MSNBC certainly in prime time they make no pretense, right? I mean, Lawrence O'Donnell, Chris Hayes, Rachel, yeah. they're all. No, I think we would argue. You, you know, that's going to be the left, the right. left, the left, the left. We would yeah. argue that their their yeah. journalism is more fact based, and and I think there's evidence for that than than the sort of part of their sort of ideological journalism on the right. But but yes, there's a, they have but, a they have a perspective. Yeah, right. And uh, so then you get CNN, which is trying to be trying to be in the middle, but, right? And and. Uh, and the thing is, I mean, some of their hosts have a hard time. Well, right. And the elephant in the room, which I can say, uh, is that you know CNN also has gotten a ton of criticism for, for example, having people like Jeffrey Lord, you know, and and um, oh god, is Jack Kingston? Who's yeah, the, yeah Jack I mean, Kingston. You know, I mean, so so and and just for, I think in general. Um, you know, not they have not found the sweet and, spot. Uh, in, what's his name? Jason Miller. Jason. Isn't that uh, 
Jason Miller? No. Yeah, Jason Miller was on there for a while. They're, I think he still is. The, 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 yeah. He probably still is. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. No, they've hired, they had several Trumpers, Trumpers as part of their contributors. Right. And yeah. But, but Tapper, um, you know, seems to be someone who, you know, I, I, ha- I had a hard time finding people who were like, you know, Tapper haters, right? I mean, there are pe- plenty of people who sort of say meh, you know, they don't have a strong opinion about him. But um, but but there was a lot of a lot of bipartisan um, affection or and respect and and not a lot of uh, derision from for his job as from, a yeah. yeah as a journalist. Yeah, uh, Graham Weiss again here from uh, New Republic, and we'll take a quick break, and then Graham and I will be joined by Patrick McHugh from Priorities USA. Let's take a look at the uh, hot spots or the sweet spots for Democrats in twenty eighteen. Uh, across the board, Senate, House, governors, and state legislatures. So much on the line. So uh, hang in there. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, March 29, uh, here we go. Wrapping up here, the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today, whether you are uh, watching on television, on Free Speech TV, joining us on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on WC, um, I'm sorry, yeah, WCPT, um, or joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And again, speaking of Chicago, Wednesday, April 4 is a big day at the Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois, where I will be uh, joining you for a good political town hall. And also talking about my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. You can find out a lot more about it on our website at BillPressShow.com. And uh, come on out and say hello on Wednesday, 6.30 p.m., Wednesday, April 4, at the Frugal Muse Bookstore. Look forward to seeing you all out there. Graham Weiss is with us from the uh, New Republic. We've been talking basically news of the day. I wanted to take a look at... um, uh, 2018 and the political landscape, particularly on the Democratic side, uh, no better person to do so. Patrick McHugh is the head executive director of Priorities USA, joining us at the table. Hey, Patrick, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, first of all, what is Priorities USA? Are you one of those big, bad, ugly packs? <laughs> no, we are not big or bad. Uh, we are. Uh, or ugly. But you are. A, <laughs> or ugly. Thank you. But you are a pack. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. Um, uh, and so, you know, we uh, you know we started in 2011 uh, as an organization that supported uh, President Obama's reelection campaign, uh, and we supported Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign uh, last cycle. Um, and this cycle, we are uh, really focusing on uh, races up and down the ballot, governor's races, Senate races, House races. We are involved in state legislative races, um, primarily focused on uh, digital communications um, and how we can talk to people online in a more effective way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that is our focus. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you've made a contract, signed a contract with Cambridge Analytical to provide... <laughs> No. To provide your data, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Where do you get your real? Too real. <laughs> Too real. <laughs> right. Um, but this is a new kind of wave, isn't it? I mean, I, right. I, I'm thinking back to reading the book Shattered, and uh, that all the talk about the analytics, right? That the Clinton campaign felt that they had all the information, they had digital information, they they knew where these voters and. Uh, well, it turns out <laughs> their analytics weren't so great. But yeah. but so where do you mind this data on people? Sure. I mean, well, you know, there's a lot of information uh, about people you know, that we have via the voter file, um, which is all public information. And, you know, we have a lot of information using platforms like Facebook and using platforms like Google um, that they provide to help target folks uh, based on what they like and based on their interests. Um, I think, you know, 
progressives uh, have um, fallen behind in the digital space. Totally. Um, you know, and you know, particularly if you look at uh, spending uh, uh, down ballot, especially last cycle, where um, you know, in the uh, top uh, House races, for example, the Republicans were spending 28% of their media budget online. Democrats were spending 4% of their media budget mm-hmm. online. Corporate America spends around 30% of their media budget online. Uh, there's no reason why we should be that behind. And it's not just a spending problem. It's a tactical problem. It's how we are talking to people online. Far too often, we put 30-second TV ads on non-skippable uh, YouTube and, and call it a day and pretend like that's enough. When in reality, you know, when you're on the internet, you're doing a billion different things. You have a billion different tabs open. Um, nobody is stopping on Facebook to watch a 30-second political TV ad. Uh, it's just not the way people consume information and entertainment. Um, and so we've got to, uh, we, we really have to adapt uh, to the way people are getting their news and entertainment, and we've, we've failed to do so. What is the answer? Flash ads just sort of you know, yeah. come up and disappear right away? Right. Or? It's really following people throughout, uh, throughout the Internet where they are browsing. Oh, right. Um, and yeah. making sure that the creative you're showing them matches the medium. And so on Facebook, for example... <laughs> You know, you have to get people to stop, um, and that you know, video is particularly hard on Facebook to get people to stop and engage with the with a piece of content. And so, for example, you know, sharing a lot of news content on Facebook can be really effective. Um, and so, really tailoring the creative you're showing um, to match the medium. I'll give you an example in the Alabama Senate uh, special where we played. We produced over 200 pieces of creative uh, during that race. Um, and so it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of uh, time. It takes a lot of uh, resources to be able to produce that much content. Um, We've come a long way from yeah. preparing a 60-second spot that you sell to TV stations. And yeah. That's your media budget, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, totally. Yeah. totally. And it's not the TV is uh, ineffective. It's just that we've got to... We've got to transition and mix a sure. little bit more in there than, than just TV. We've got to... But I do have to ask you, before we move into some of these races, you said you get information from Facebook. I mean, that's that's Facebook's big problem right now, right? Sure. That Cambridge Analytica was able to get that information yeah. from Facebook. How do you get it? Yeah. Do you... Well, Cambridge Facebook... Analytica, the way they got it was uh, through sort of deceiving Facebook and what they were going to use it for. I right. Mean, we obviously don't. Uh, practice <laughs> that we don't, you know, practice deception. But is it available from Facebook if you pay the right price or make it, you know, talk well, to available to anybody who's, who's doing advertising on the on the medium. And it's not really that, you know, um, it, you know, it's more about targeting people based on uh, sort of um, the things they like and, uh, you know, their um, potential political leanings, frankly, most of which we know through our analytics data that we do outside of what we outside get from Facebook. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, now, Grant, we've been talking about one particular race. Love to get your take. Grant, why don't you? Uh... Yeah, I was just—I was just going to ask. I mean, so this Arizona Eighth um, Congressional District race. This is the Trent Franks mm-hmm. seat, uh, and the Republican Debbie Lesko seems like the favorite. But um, this uh, Democrat Hiral Tipperneni, uh, an emergency room physician. Um, and uh, Indian immigrant uh, who's running a kind of, uh, uh, you know, pragmatic uh, but mainstream uh, Democratic campaign. Um, you know, the, the, the thinking is that um, maybe this district uh, is too conservative um, to really uh, be worth investing money in. Uh, it includes Sheriff Joe Arpaio's uh, sort of former political base. Uh, but I'd be curious to get your take on that race and whether uh, it should be a priority for the party nationally. Are right. you involved in that race? Uh, we're not. Uh-huh. Um, 
you know, we're, we're watching it uh, like we watch, uh, you know, uh, all the races that are uh, being engaged across the country. I think that what you're seeing nationally and what we saw in Pennsylvania 8, you know, is if we have candidates who uh, are, are authentic and can uh, engage with people in their district in a real authentic way, we can be successful regardless of how conservative that district may be. Um, and what you saw with Connor Lamb in, in Pennsylvania is that he had a message that really connected with with the people in the districts, whereas the Republicans were running sort of a nationalized message. They ran against Nancy Pelosi. They ran on tax reform. They ran at the very end against immigration. Um, and so they threw every single thing they had in their playbook that they've been running on for cycle after cycle, and none of it worked because Connor Lamb uh, had an authentic voice for the for the district. Um, and so I think that's really important and provides us with a lot of opportunity in even the reddest of districts, including in Arizona. Mm. Um, and so you can see that Republicans are panicking, spending all of this money in a race that they would normally never spend. But, so uh, why aren't you active in that right. race? We might be. We might be. And so, you know, we um, we monitor all the races that are happening across the country, and we might very well end up uh, getting in that race. But, you know, we... Um, you know, we like to sort of uh, make sure that where we are investing our money, we can really make a, a big difference, particularly on digital advertising. We are not doing any television advertising this cycle. And so, um, you know, we look for places where digital can really push uh, the ball over the finish line. Do you know how many races you're involved in at this time, uh, this, this cycle? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we are, uh, we are actively involved in uh, several Senate races, including in Missouri, Indiana, uh, North Dakota, Florida, uh, Wisconsin, um, we are also, uh, you know, actively engaged um, and going to be actively engaged in a number of governor's races, including in Nevada and Michigan, uh, potentially in Wisconsin and Ohio. Um, you know, we are going to be engaged in a number of House races um, as we get closer to the election. I'm going to, you know, our hope is to let the map develop a little bit, see uh, where the where our um, investment and resources can really make a difference, um, and then play in those races to try to get them over the finish line. State legislative races, too? Yep. We are taking a look at state legislative races, again, where we can make the biggest impact. In 2017, we played in the Florida State Senate uh, District 40 special election, where Annette Tadeo became the first Latina elected to the Florida State Senate. We're really proud of that effort. That was a $200,000 uh, digital effort that we did in that campaign, both persuasion and turnout. Um, and so we're going to continue looking for races like that, where we can we feel like we can make a a difference in races that are important, obviously, to our redistricting goals, uh, et cetera, where um, we're taking a look at as well. Over, like in these midterm elections overall, what will your, what will your budget be? So we, uh, our budget for media is $50 million. Mm-hmm. 50? Um, 50? 50, Yep, 5 um, Again, that's digital only, no TV. Um, you know, we are working closely with our partners at Senate Majority PAC and House Majority PAC and uh, DGA, who will invest, rightfully so, uh, a lot of uh, money on television advertising, and, and we are going to coordinate with them and, uh, and spend our resources on, on digital. And, and so as a PAC, your money comes from individual donors, corporate donors, all sure. of the above? Yeah, all of the above. It comes from uh, labor, uh, individual donors, um, um, uh, the two main sources of our... Is there a limit to what people can give to uh, Priorities USA? Uh, there's not. <laughs> there's not? There's not. Right. We, are a, uh, we are a super PAC, which means there are no limits, but we also disclose all of our donors. They're on the FEC uh, website. Um, right. So, yeah. But the, but the, so that means you're a 50... I, I forget what the ruling is, but but one you have to disclose and one you don't, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, talk about some of these Senate races. Yeah. Well, I, I was just curious. I mean, the the, the 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 broad thinking seems to be that the House is, you know, seriously in play and that the Senate uh, maybe is not. I mean, is that your sense? And if not, w- w- which races would you point to to suggest that the Senate um, is, is flippable? Sure. I mean, I think it's absolutely true that the House is in play. 
um, I, I you know I uh, learned um, uh, over the last two years to never say never about anything. Mm -hmm. uh, we currently have a Democrat serving uh, uh, for the state of Alabama in the United States Senate. Um, something that none of us would have seen a long time ago. Um, and so, look, I mean, undoubtedly, uh, the Senate map is more difficult. Uh, we are running in, in places where um, Trump won. But if you look at the strength of our incumbents running in these states, um, by and large, they're almost always more popular than Donald Trump um, by a decent margin. Um, they really fit their state. Um, you know, Heidi Heitkamp is, uh, really fits North Dakota as a John Tester uh, in Montana. So you mentioned, yeah. uh, I want to say this, uh, following up on the states that you mentioned in the Senate, you said Missouri for sure, yep. right? What were some of the others? Uh, Missouri. Met, well, Montana with Tester, is that? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, our main ones uh, that yeah. we're really focusing on are, uh, are Missouri, uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, North Dakota, um, uh, um, mm -hmm. Florida mm -hmm. uh, is a big one. Um, uh, this is defending, right? Or sort of this is where we are going to be focusing our resources, and then you know, additionally, you know, we're we are you know uh, likely going to be involved in some capacity, as we are already going to be likely involved in Nevada in the governor's race. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so you know, uh, Indiana for Senate too. Yep, that's right. Mm -hmm. um, and you're already seeing, you know, you're already seeing that the right uh, and the infrastructure of the right, particularly the Koch brothers, are already spending money in these races. They already um, are sensing that they have to uh, try to get in there early. Um, and mostly around tax reform. Um, and if you look at uh, the polls in most of these races, you'll see that it hasn't really had that much of an impact. Um, and that's a big problem for the Republicans. If they, Their theory was that they were going to pass tax reform, and that's what they were going to run on. And you see that, it, and you saw it in Pennsylvania, and you're seeing it now in uh, several of these Senate races where, um, where they're spending millions of dollars to advertise on uh, the, the tax plan, and it's, it's not really having a a big negative effect. Uh, remind me of the uh, numbers. We've been over them before, but they're not right in the top of my head. Is that a Democrat, the ones you mentioned are all, as you pointed out, defending. Right. So we have Nevada right. and Arizona are the, are the two uh, key and yeah. uh, are the two key pickup uh, opportunities. That's what I was going to um, ask. The two, know, right. Yeah. Nevada and. And then you have um, uh, uh, Tennessee as well, which is uh, potentially a pickup opportunity, but. You know, as I said before, the Senate map is just harder than the math that, that we have to contend with. It's just it's just more difficult. But look, anything is anything is possible. We have candidates who are running running really strong campaigns, and what's, the environment is clearly. What's the biggest challenge or the toughest race you believe among these Senate seats? Mm -hmm. Is it um, Carmen Caskell? Look, I mean, I I don't know if I pick out a toughest one. I think the five uh, states that are um, where um, Donald Trump won by heavy margins by double digits, and you're talking about you know, Missouri, North Dakota, Montana, uh, West Virginia, and Indiana, those are undoubtedly the, the toughest um, holds uh, for us. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that's um, pretty you know, common knowledge, and I think those are the, the, the ones that you see, um, you know, the, the right really trying to uh, spend a lot of money in because they see those as their biggest opportunities. But again, the, our, our incumbents running in those races have strong profiles for those states. Um, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, I... I think those will be tough races. They always are. Um, they're always very close. I was at the DSCC in, in 2012 when, um, when you know, despite the fact that there was a presidential year and Barack Obama didn't do so well in North Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp won by. Mm. Uh, and uh, same thing in Montana where John Tester won. Same thing in Indiana and Missouri. Uh, so we won all these races in, a, in an environment, in a presidential year where, um, 
Republicans got out to vote, um, and Barack Obama didn't win those states, uh, but we still won those Senate races. So I've always thought are. Tester was an interesting guy because he's he's from a, a you know a, a sort of uh, state uh, you know that is not a deep blue state, and yet like the Progressive Change Campaign Committee loves him as a sort of prairie populist. So he he must he's he's got it definitely has a um, a distinct profile that's sort of unlike. Um, you know, any other senator in that way. What do you think are going to be the key defining issues in this uh, uh, 2018 cycle? Yep. Is it going to be gun safety? Is it going to be Stormy Daniels? Is it going to be the tax cuts? Um, yeah, healthcare. 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 Yeah. If you look at poll after poll and you, and you saw it in Pennsylvania again, uh, what are the main issues that concern you when you go into election day? And if you look at the exit polls in Pennsylvania, healthcare was number one. We've been seeing healthcare as number one, uh, you know, since the early days of this administration when they first began their effort to repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act, um, and we're seeing it again and again and again. Um, and so I think that you know the um, you know I think we have strong arguments around tax reform. The Republicans certainly think they can run on it. Um, you know, we think well, she said, we feel pretty confident out. in our position didn't, on that. Didn't issue. work too well in right. Pennsylvania eighteen, right? Um, but you're seeing time again that healthcare is a critical issue that that everybody cares about. Everybody needs affordable health care, no matter who you are, no matter whether or not for Democrats you are a persuasion target or a turnout target, you care about having affordable health care for you and your family. And so that's a critical issue that, um, that I think you're going to see um, Democrats uh, run on. Um, you know, it's, a, it's why you see, you know, I think one of our most powerful arguments against tax reform is the fact that, um, that the money that is going to be used to pay for all these tax cuts for billionaires and corporations is going to come out of Medicare. Um, and Social Security eventually. Um, and so, um, you know, that, again, ties back to uh, to healthcare in many ways. And so I mm-hmm. think that's a key issue. But that's not to say that, uh, you know, of course, um, other issues won't be at play. But I think healthcare is sort of the overriding. Um, Do you think Democrats should run on gun control? I mean, we just, we, both of us were at the March for Our Lives. You know, there's this huge uh, sort of groundswell at this moment. It's certainly excited a, a lot of, you know, people feel inspired by um, the Parkland students. Um, yeah. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, the March this weekend was uh, powerful uh, and incredible, and really shows that you know we had there's a lot of energy, certainly much young people, um, for changing this country. And I thought it was really inspiring. And I think that, look, I mean, I think that Democrats um, uh, should uh, should you know run um, you know on gun control to the extent that um, you know it's authentic. I mean, I think they should be true to who they are and true to what they believe. I mean, you're you're seeing that with. Um, in Florida, where uh, you know Nelson is talking um, about the need to do something around guns, um, particularly against Rick Scott, who um, uh, you know who uh, is uh, who obviously felt who some political NRA, pressure, felt to, some political pressure right. to do something, despite the fact that he is a lifelong NRA member, right. um, um, and that issue certainly isn't going away anytime. In, in, in and despite race. the fact that what he did is pretty pretty small much ball. of a joke, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. small ball, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It was a. Um, it, it was not real uh, and meaningful, and so, look, I mean, it, yes, I think the Democrats should talk about it, but they should they should be again authentic to to who they are when they do so. Right. Do it sounds th- like you don't think it should be a national message for them, though. Look, I mean, I think that again, I think that you know, yes, it's an important issue, uh, but nationally, I think that we should focus on, um, you know, the things that are um, like health care um, uh, that are affecting people's life and that, that people need. Uh, day to day, um, to put food on their family's table, to 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 get ahead, um, to make their their children's life um, better. I mean, we're seeing this consistently across the country. These are the issues that people care about. What do you feel a um, 
that there already is or there is building a blue wave? Yes. Absolutely. That that, that there are evidence of that, right? Yeah. Where do you see it? Look, I mean, I th- think you see a lot of enthusiasm with our base in terms of turnout. Um, you saw it in Alabama. You saw it in Pennsylvania. Um, you even saw it in some of the special elections early last year that we didn't win in right. Georgia awesome. and Montana. Right. When you saw that our base is motivated to turn out, um, uh, you know, that's not enough, though. It is not enough for us to rely on Trump and the hatred of Trump amongst our base to be able to win these races. And we saw this in Alabama. One of the things we did in Alabama where we ran a $1.5 million digital campaign, a million of that was on turnout, uh, primarily amongst African-American voters. And one of the things we saw very early on in that race is that Trump was not enough. We did a test at the very beginning showing that just talking about Trump saying, this is your chance to send Trump a message, Mm -hmm. uh, actually uh, decreased enthusiasm to vote amongst many voters, Mm. uh, reduced intent to vote amongst uh, many voters. Uh, and that, uh, conversely, uh, a positive message about, you know, this is your chance to, to make change in your community in a positive way, particularly around issues like education, was extremely powerful in motivating people to vote. And so it's not, you know, yes, our base is uh, extremely motivated by Trump, um, and a, a lot of people are going to turn out because of that, but it's not enough for our party to just rely on that. We've got to um, give people uh, a reason beyond just stopping Trump to vote, because if you are a voter who wants to send Trump a message, you're going to turn out. Yeah, you don't need us to come to your door fifteen times to tell you to do it. You're going to do it. It's the people who um, Trump is not enough to get to turn out that we've really got to touch and reach and, and talk to. Uh, the New York Times today has a they break down uh, looking at the House. Yeah, uh, Democrats need to flip twenty four seats. Twenty five of them are in Clinton territory. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's the targeting, I guess. Right. I mean, that's the yeah. To a certain extent, though, I would say though, I think it's a I, I think. You know, and I, I don't think that our party is doing this, but I, I do think it's it's to agree a false choice that we either have to uh, focus on the districts where Clinton won that are more suburban, um, college-educated districts versus the districts where Trump may have won by a small margin, uh, where um, these are you know more non-college-educated working-class districts. I think that we have to focus on both. I think we put all of our eggs in one basket. We're not going to mm-hmm. we're not going to like the results, um, and I think that we've got to compete in both types of districts. Um, and again, I think we're doing that. I mean, I think we're fielding authentic candidates in both of these, both types of districts. Um, is there? Um, I, I'm really interested in the governor's races, um, yeah. particularly because of reapportionment coming up. Right. Uh, we can't. The Supreme Court's not. I don't know. Who knows what the Supreme Court's going to do after yesterday's hearing was not very clear. But uh, there's going to be a census taken, and these legislators are going to be state legislators and governors. So they're going to be drawing the bills, governors signing these reapportionment mm-hmm. bills. So, and what do we have? 15, Democrats, 15 governors now or 17, something, but it's... Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think yeah. it's Are there might be possible wrong, yeah. pickups there? And Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of pickup opportunities uh, in governor's races. Nevada is a big one. Uh, Wisconsin is another big opportunity. You're seeing Scott Walker right now who is scared, clearly very scared for his re-election. Is he uh, up for re-election yeah. again? He is. It seems like he's been governor for a long time. I know. He never stops every, running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, right and they had the recall, and then he came back. And I mean, yeah, yeah the whole. Yeah. yeah, and you're seeing that he's, I mean, he's advertising mm-hmm. right now, um, and he is running scared. Um, mm-hmm. And for good reason. Uh, you know, the state of Wisconsin is, um, and his numbers, you know, is moving in our direction, and his numbers have never been worse. His job approval numbers and his favorability numbers have never been worse. And so, Got a real opportunity there, and again, a key uh, place for redistricting. And um, you know, uh, Michigan is another key opportunity uh, for pickup um, uh, that we've got in front of us. And so, 
Look, I mean, I think governor's races are extremely important. I think you're going to see a lot of investment in governor's races from our side, uh, more investment than we've seen in the past, particularly because redistricting is so important um, and on the line, and because we've got a lot of pickup opportunities in states that are truly competitive. Um, and so um, we are, we are uh, going to be involved in many of them, and um, I think it's going to be an exciting year on that front. So who makes your decisions? Do you? <laughs> no, uh, we are collective. We make oh. uh, a collective decision-making process. Uh, yeah. So this was started as an Obama operation, and then sure. you supported Hillary. Is this Hillary Clinton's PAC? Uh, we were. Uh, you know, today, we are, today, does Hillary control your PAC or no. Bill Clinton control your PAC? No. It's a, yeah. We are traditionally have been the presidential super PAC, so the one that supported yeah. Obama, the one that supported Clinton, the traditionally have supported the Democratic nominee. Um, we saw for the midterms, and priorities didn't do anything in the midterms in 2014. I think for this cycle, we saw a need for an organization to specifically try to close the digital gap, both on spending and on tactics um, in the midterm elections, especially. So that is why we're getting involved in for 2019 and 2020, we see our role again as a presidential super PAC, where we are not right. going to get involved in the primary, but yeah. we see a need to be able to continuously define Trump uh, in around ways that are effective with the voters that we care about uh, in for November, um, and that we are going to continuously uh, beat that drum um, and frame him in, in the most effective way possible while our primary plays out. So we uh, can find out more about the priorities of Priorities USA by going to priorities.org, yep, right? Yeah, pretty simple. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very important stuff. And very, uh, Patrick, thanks so much for coming in. Graham, good Thank to have you. you here as a friend nice of Bill. The rest of the day is yours, folks. Enjoy it. Come back and this see us tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.